Thank you for tuning in to Shift the Plan podcast, where it is never too late to change the game. I'm your host, Rhonda Evans, and here we'll be listening to stories of the everyday woman. How life just, you know, brings you a little bit of obstacles, but what matters is what you do within the shift. Welcome to Shift the Plan podcast. It is a brand new week, which typically would be my uh, solo episode. But today we are going to have three amazing young women who attended HBCU. So you've guessed it. We are talking about the Black College experience. So sit back, enjoy, and let me know what you guys think. Okay. Thank you guys for joining Shift the Plan podcast. We are here with another episode, which typically would be a solo episode, but in rare fashion, anytime I get on the phone with Keisha, aka Keisha from Cali, we come up with these new ideas. So today we will have somewhat of a round table and we're going to be talking about the Black college experience. So I am joined by three young ladies who attended HBCUs, Ms. of course, Lakeisha Orr, who attended Howard University, Shalonda Hughes, who attended Hampton, and Ivy Wells, who, ascend- who attended Ascended. That's what it was, Ascended. What's the same? We do have Winston, we ascend. Okay. <laughs> you ascend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> University. But while we're going to be talking about the Black college experience at an HBCU, we're also going to talk about the perspective of what it would be like to still have the Black college experience, even if you attended a predominantly white institute. So here we go into the episode. So you guys, thank you for joining me. I know it was such short notice, but you guys hopped on. So I greatly, greatly appreciate you. So I just want to tell you why this is even a topic tonight. So my son is about to go away to school. And of course, it probably won't be at HBCU, but I still want him to have that kind of experience. You know, he's into the arts, so he wants to go to a very specific school. And then next year, my daughter will be graduating and going to school. And of course, it will still probably be an art school. But I still want them to have an experience. So this made me think, okay, why don't we do an episode talking about the Black college experience? Um, So let's start with you, Shalonda. When you were deciding to go to a school, like I know for me, all I can remember back in the day was watching a different world and thinking, oh, I want to go to a school like that. (laughs) So what was your factors like? Did you always want to go to HBCU? Yes, and it, it, a different role was it, the exact reason. Um, like, I was just mesmerized by the relationships that they had with each other. And then also, my dad went to Norfolk State. So I, um, it, the, the Black college experience, I wouldn't say it was, like, it was destined, but it kind of was. It was like, Black college, you really have no other choice. Honestly, when I applied to other schools, I only applied to HBCUs. I also applied to Bowie, I applied to Virginia State, and I applied to A&T. So, like, I just knew, I always knew that's where I wanted to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about yeah, you, Ivy? A different world was definitely the, the catalyst. <laughs> I think that's what made most uh, kids want to go to uh, a Black college, because it was like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, they have that kind of fun? That's what we do? Right. right, I want to right. go to that school. I, I right. think for me, after watching that, and then I think it was it was either Ebony or Essence magazine. They had like this spread on all of the uh, black colleges, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to Clark Atlanta." Yeah. I ripped the page yeah. out, put mm-hmm. them on my mm-hmm. wall. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Ended up at Wayne State University. So <laughs> 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 clearly, far different from Clark. <laughs> Um, so kind of like Shalonda's story, um, I did watch a, a different world, but that wasn't necessarily what catalyzed me to go to HBCU. It was kind of twofold. So majority of the schools I went to were predominantly white, um, high school, middle school, 
And the only time I really was submerged with Black people was at church and at my dance studio. And I went to an all-Black, Black-owned dance studio in Charlotte, BB Dance Productions. And, um, of course, my church was all-Black. So, um, outside of that, I never got to sit in a um, educational institution with Black people. And... All of my family went to black schools. As a matter of fact, they all went to Winston. And so I knew I was going to go to HBCU for that reason, but I didn't, I never, I, I always said I would never go to Winston, funny enough. <laughs> so um, I think the real reason why I chose an HBCU was simply for one reason. I wanted to be able to be around people that looked like me in the educational setting. And that was because I also was able to take part in different um, out like extracurricular activities at Charlotte. One thing I can say about Charlotte school system, they have a lot of extracurricular activities to help you figure out like what you wanted to be, like what type of occupation you wanted to end up in. And so one of the things I did was like this um, organization called Explorers. And believe it or not, it was so many black kids in there. It was hardly any white kids. So the mere fact that I got to, to sit and be in an organization, educational organization with people that look like me and it made me feel good and they encouraged me. Um, I was like, I want this all the time. And that's the real reason why I for sure, for sure. Like Shalonda, I applied to all black schools. Like, <laughs> All black schools. My grandparent, my grandmother made me apply to one traditional school, and that was I. I let her fill it out, and it was she chose Davidson College. I was like, "Girl, I'm going further away from you than this." But <laughs> yeah, so um, that was the only school that I actually applied to. Well, she applied to that was a traditional school because I had already made up in my mind. And one more thing, and then I'm done. I did a lot of research about um, the Hillman experience and why they actually started the show. And that was to promote black schools because people weren't going to black schools. And You're right. So mm -hmm. Because of that, I was like, I want my, my money to stay black. And that's something that my grandfather ingrained in me as a kid, like, keep your dollars black. And because I knew that they was going to pay for me to go to school, I was like, well, you're going to keep your dollars black. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, I, I mean, that was kind of like one of the things, like I said on my webinar the other day, I want to be the one to normalize black wealth. And I wanted to also be the one to carry on the tradition of, because I knew I, I'm going to be a great person. I knew I was going to be a great like person, period. And I was like, I wanted to be great coming from an HBCU. So that was that. Well, boom. That's, that was that. <laughs> she dropped the mic, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Keisha? I had a little bit of a different experience. Um, growing up in Cali, we don't get a lot of messaging about Black colleges, like all in all. It's either you go to UC this or Cal State anywhere, because it's a Cal State for every city in Southern California. So... The other thing is that coming out of high school, the fee waiver covered all of the Cal States and I think four mm. UCs. And you could apply to four UCs on one college application. So of course I did that. I applied to my UCs and then I applied to my Cal States and we got like an exuberant number of Cal States for the, you know, for, for the free and one application. One application, you just check off all the schools that you'd be interested in. And to be honest with you, Rhonda, when I started researching Black colleges and I discovered this idea that I could be the majority at a college, I was like, oh, oh no, that's what I want to do. And to oh, be quite wow. frank, I applied to the Cal States and the UCs because they were free and to stroke my ego because I like to see the acceptance letters coming. Getting the acceptance letters, like, oh, I got into Cal State here. Oh, I got into Cal State there. Like, okay. But um, I knew for a fact that I wanted to go to a black college. So when I started to do the research of trying to figure out well, what's the black, the best black college, you know, it was a very short list and Howard was at the top. And I don't even think Hampton was on that list. But oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> so I'm 
the different um reasons why you guys wanted to go to black, black colleges like for me it wasn't like you said Keisha it wasn't like a whole bunch of people were like oh no you got to go to a black suit now they did do the trips every year where um they would take all of the, the kids to all of the black colleges and stuff like that I never went on that trip but <laughs> what you say Keisha that's amazing I never yeah even- even seen Howard until the day I was moving in. Like I never got to visit. Oh wow, girl, you need to tell that story too. <laughs> Man, that's amazing. I would have loved to go on a black college tour. Yeah, they did the black college tour. That's why you ended up at Wayne State because had you actually stepped foot on campus, I probably would have. Yeah, it would have been a different story. Absolutely, I think it makes a difference too because, like you said, for you and Shalanda, you both had family members and parents who went, and I would have been like my father didn't graduate from high school, and my mom, she didn't go to college until after she had me, um, and she went and got her associates. So I didn't have any point of reference. You know, I had a, my best friend. I don't think her parents went to black colleges, but they were like the Huxtables to me, like legit. They were the Shackelfords, but, um, (laughs) but you know, that was what gave me that, that, that motivation to want to get that higher education um, when I did attend Wayne State, but going to, like you said, in high school, I went to an all white school. I was like one of three in the whole entire school. So you would think that I would want to be in a college where it's just like all of us. Well, Wayne State pretty much was, but it was totally different. It wasn't that environment. So do you think that legacy and the tradition plays a big part in students selecting certain schools to go to? No, because at, so let's see, we went from, like, I have cousins who would have been second-generation HBC. They're older than me, right? So they're my mom's age. They would have been second-generation HBCU um, students, but they chose the traditional route because they got, like, full rides to, like, um, Duke and places like that. And And for whatever reason, society trumps your school based on whether it's traditional or black and i absolutely hate that and i had to i got on my grandmother about this recently because i feel like no matter what school you go to mm-hmm. the way the economy is set up today a job is a job they're gonna hire you or they're not right. and these days i hate to say it but if i would have known instagram was gonna be what it is today i would have saved those coins that people spent on sending me to school mm-hmm. and just struggled for a couple of years until Instagram got started and then boom made my debut on Instagram. It's people on Instagram today that have no education that made way yeah. more than college educated people. 
Yep. And I'm saying that to say that, like, even me working in commercial real estate, and one of the ways that they determine where they're going to bring certain shopping centers and certain, um, like, um, anchor tenants, like your Nordstrom's and things like that, they look at education level in neighborhoods. And I tell developers, I was like, y'all do realize it's 2019 that education level has nothing to do with the buying power anymore? Nothing. And so that's why I'm saying I don't think that legacy has anything to do with it. I think it has everything to do with what that child needs. And I need it to be in a predominantly black, like, institute, like educational institution, because for whatever reason, I feel like I need that. I was tired of being the only black girl and only black person in my AP classes. I was tired of feeling like when I did see black people in school with me, they were, they didn't act like they wanted anything out of life. So mm -hmm. I knew for a fact that I needed that um, positive black energy to like help me figure out who I am as little black Ivy, because I, although it was right around me with my family, but that's still totally different. I just needed that peer alignment like I talked about the other day like mm -hmm. you need sometimes just that peer alignment to help you discover yourself yeah I too was like one of two you know little smart black kids in my <laughs> classes at my high school and the, I remember like it was yesterday even though undergrad was a few years ago <laughs> that feeling of like wow being in class like it's like they took all the smart black girls and all the smart black boys from all the high schools around the country and we're all here at Howard like we're all here and it was just an amazing feeling to not be one of two to be the majority to be like oh mm -hmm. what you right doing? oh you must be here on scholarship okay that's how I was at Winston you know they're known for their nursing program so you look over you like you must be in the nursing department <laughs> exactly what about you Shalanda we were talking about how we feel like do you feel like the determining factor to go to certain school depends on legacy or to tradition in the family um, for a lot of people I think that is the case and that was definitely kind of was the case for me but it wasn't um my dad did attend Norfolk, but he didn't matriculate. He didn't graduate. So it wasn't, and, and my mom never went to college. So it wasn't legacy for me. But I do know that for a lot of people, it is um, like, my mom went to the school. I have to go to this school. And for others, it's just like, you know, I'm just looking for an experience. So I think for me, it might have been a little bit of both, but definitely more so towards the experience because, um, like I said, my dad didn't graduate. My mom never went to college. So um, it was all my choice. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, it probably would have been 10 times as better of a situation had I gone away because I was at a state school. I still was <laughs> at home. I didn't go away to college. And I think that nowadays it is so important to make sure that our children have those experiences. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't want you to go far, but guess what? I do want you to get that, that experience. I want you to feel that sense of responsibility. I want you to kind of be out there on your own so you can learn how to be responsible. Um, and I think that's the, the good thing about a, a HBCU, and I, definitely my experience at Hampton, it was like, you know, I was definitely away from home. I was eight hours away by a car, but you still had like a, a family of people within your school. So you had, you know, mm -hmm. like your dorm director who looked out or your RA, and then you develop friends who, you know, later become your family. So it is, you know, you're definitely away from your family, but those same friends and that same community definitely becomes your family to look out for it. So are you guys still connected to that community that you developed when you were in college? Exactly. Yes. Like my friends from college are like my lifelong friends. My kids call them aunts. Like if anything pops off, we get in cars. Yes. We do. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> And it's funny that you asked that question because I heard a lot 
that the friends you get in college will be your lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, like any saying, until you actually experience it, you be like, mm, no, my homegirl in high school, that's going to be my bestie forever. But mm -hmm. they don't tell you that that saying came about simply because that's when you are starting to enter into adulthood and you're starting to find more about yourself and you all are starting to grow into womanhood together. Mm -hmm. And that's really what bonds you because mm -hmm. you don't, you're not an adolescent forever, but you're a woman forever. Right. <laughs> and so that bond of you growing to learn yourself as a woman or as a man, that's actually what's bonding you. And that's what takes you into your adulthood and those long lasting friendships. Because mm -hmm. then you realize that some of you, while you're in college, some people got married, some people had kids. And mm -hmm. it's like this instant growth in yourself based on what your friends start to go through. Mm -hmm. Just like everybody may not have been fortunate for them to, for their education to be paid for, to have scholarships. Mm -hmm. So you instantly, by way of my friends, I learned how to manage money because I watched them like having to work, work, study, um, mm -hmm. figure out how to pay for school. They didn't mm -hmm. always have enough money for food. And so right. watching like the things that they were going through and then turn around like me having to go through things with my grandfather. That's actually how I ended up at Winston-Salem State. I was going to Howard. Mm -hmm. But I ended up at Winston because my grandfather got into an accident like the February of my senior year. And in my mind, he was in ICU. I was like, I can't go that far away and be that far away from my grandfather. And so I stayed local and went to Winston. And then watching me like worry about him and like literally worry all my first semester, that helped them actually get closer to their family. Cause you know, when everybody go to school, you write everybody off. Like, I am done with y'all. Yeah. I'm grown. I'm about to live my life. I'm oh, my best life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was out when we were in school? <laughs> oh, God. I think nobody's parents would have heard from their kids. We'd have been like, uh, we live in our best life. But right. <laughs> everything that we went through, we went through it together. Yeah. And that's why to this day, those are my friends. We mm -hmm. cook together every Sunday because maybe somebody didn't have money to eat with, mm -hmm. you know, and that Sunday meal might get them through Monday and Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like the struggle and you learning how to actually bond with people through the struggle. Yeah. That's why those, those, they are my day one, my, <laughs> my, like, my friends, a hundred grand by day ones mm -hmm. from freshman year, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I don't know that kind of experience quite, but <laughs> because I was at home, but it's ironic. Like there was a girl who I met, I think it was my first day on campus. <laughs> and it's so crazy that we became friends because as we sat there and we started talking more and more and more, it was crazy. Our fathers worked together and were like good friends. Like I've probably seen oh, her many yeah. times when we were little girls, but didn't even realize that it was her and we ended up becoming friends and to this day we are still friends I was blessed enough to have a really good best friend that I've been friends with literally since diapers and we are still friends to this day so that that on that instance I can say that but I did I definitely thought I was grown still because I was I think it was my sophomore year I was like I'm moving out because you can't tell me I have to have a curfew <laughs> Yes, I remember that. Like, like summers were difficult for me. Yes, this break. You want to tell me what? Summer. Summer. <laughs> you want me to do what? I'm Turn my teeth off at ten o'clock. Come back home, like I'm all the way grown. You cannot give me a curfew. <laughs> so yeah, I call myself moving out, and that was probably who the struggle was real because I had to. I had a roommate, but my roommate, who Lord, that was some. Some things, yeah. But I had a roommate, <laughs> and when I look back on it, I'm like, that was the craziest decision I could have ever made. Like, think of because we're in Charlotte now, but just think of like over there by Betty's Four Row. What's that behind Nikki's? Like, just imagine being a 19 year old going to go get an apartment with somebody up there. <laughs> back, back there, okay. <laughs> like. Literally, you can only that <laughs> You can only park on the street, 
And if anybody that is from Detroit that is listening, it was awful Woodward. So like, no, you do not go get no place over there. Like you can only park on the street or in the alley. Okay. And I worked at night. So I worked at the bank at night um, doing the, I don't think no one's called anymore, but the little process thing. And you couldn't leave till everybody was done. So a lot of times I wasn't getting home till one, two o'clock in the morning because I was driving from Farmington Hills, which was like the suburb of Detroit. I'm like, and I'm parking in the alley because there's no other parking spots. Like, how brave was I then? And now I can't get on the plane. But anywho. Well, I the washing machine in the other room. Okay. Right. Scan of the washing machine. <laughs> My, how Charlotte has changed you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Girl, look, I had all the bravery, all the bravery whack when I was 18, 19 years old. But yeah, you know, you go away and you become grown and then you come back home and it's like, wait, no, mm -mm, you can't do any of that. But you went, um, you made a point, you talked about how you had to see the other students on work study and stuff like that. Do you think that that's part of a determining factor for people, uh, children or parents for that matter saying, yeah, you can go to school. No, you can't go to that school because of how much um, college costs and if it's affordable. You mean black schools or mm -hmm. school? Um, I don't think that people, I think the one of the reasons, and this is gonna sound bad, but it's coming from a good place. I think ignorance is the reason why people think they can't go to school because they're not well uh, educated on the different things that are out there to help people financially make it to school. Um, I had the privilege to be a um, admissions counselor for Winston-Salem State right out, of right out of college. And I was like stalking these parents to tell them that like, your kid has a 4.8 GPA. What do you mean they're not going to school? I was like, you know, Winston-Salem State was giving black boys free money, like begging them, please come teach, be a teacher, please. Because there's, there are no black male teachers like at that time. And they were paying them, like begging them, just come be a teacher, even as a PE teacher, I don't care. We have money for you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was like scenarios like that where kids were like, oh, I could be a PE teacher and I'll go to school for free. All right, I'm down. And it was because we, as usual in our community, we don't know the resources that are available for us. Yeah. And that I think is the reason why most people don't send their kids to college. Mm -hmm. or they don't send them away to college and they tell them oh you can just start at the like the local trade school or whatever but I think it's honestly and truthfully it's just ignorance to the resources that are available and not necessarily the money because school can be paid for yeah let me tell you how right you are I was one of those you know, products. My dad didn't go to college. My mom went to Compton Community College, and she was the first person in her family to graduate from community college. Mm -hmm. And this is while I was there, like I was at her college graduation. So mm -hmm. I didn't have those resources. Veronda, what's the name of the episode of Shift the Plan that I'm featured on? <laughs> I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly. And so my, um, my job that I had when I graduated high school, I was working at the mall at the shoe store finish line. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I found the closest finish line to Howard's address, which was, oh my gosh, it was not close, y'all. <laughs> it was in Forestville, Maryland, if anybody is listening who, you know, is familiar with Oh my with God, that's far. Yeah, that's far, girl. <laughs> but I was like, I had convinced myself, well, I need to transfer my job so that I can have some money to support myself when I go off to college. So before I even got to Howard, because again, my parents didn't drop me off, like I, I was just there. So before I even went to Howard, I already had this job lined up for me at Forestville Mall. And so during freshman week when everybody's lit and everybody's signing up, I was catching the bus to work. <laughs> the Forestville? The Forestville, girl. This is an hour and a half. Who are you telling? The Metro didn't go there. I was on the bus going to oh, work. Man. Look, wow. just figure that out real quick. Like, no, no, I can't work here. Yeah. I got to <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I told you I worked there. I worked there my first.
freshman year, and I also worked on campus um, as a lobby monitor in my dorm, checking people's IDs after hour and checking people in and checking people out. So I had two jobs, and I was a full-time student my freshman year. So by sophomore year, I, thank God, luckily, ooh, I love you, God. So one of the girls <laughs> to the mall to look for some shoes. She was looking for shoes. She was a waitress for her new job at Matchbox, which is on 7th and H. And I was like, oh, what's that? Like, I haven't heard of it. And she was like, oh, yeah, you should come by. They're hiring. So I went to Matchbox, and I got a job as a hostess, which was only one bus ride away or one <laughs> bus stop away. And I was loving it. I was so grateful. This is why. That's not even the best part. When it was paying me more money, but I didn't care about that. I was a college kid. You know how they got me? All the hostess got one free meal per shift. How did I know you got That means I'm guaranteed to eat. What? Sign me up. I work. Yes. I don't even care if you're paying me more money. I, I'm just here for the food. Right. I just need to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I work, I don't go eat. Thank you. Yes. And Look. Rest of the, my time at Howard. You're not going to skip over the fact that you said that you just got there, that your parents didn't drop you off. I'm going to need you to elaborate on that story. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to be mindful of how I'm going to sound, but let me, just, let me just tell you from the emotional space that 17-year-old Keisha from Cali was in. My grandma passed away right before I went to college. <laughs> and I was like, man, no, my dad can't. Why is that so fast? Man, now they can't go with me because they gotta go to the funeral and I gotta go by myself. Yeah. Seventeen-year-old Keisha. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Grandma. You didn't die that early. It was my dad's dad. It was my grandfather. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was my grandma. My grandma. She, she was alive at that point. I'm sorry. Oh God. <laughs> it was my dad's dad. Who? Was this is a little extra tidbit. I had never met and my dad had never met. My dad never met his father until oh. he saw him at his funeral. Oh, that's, that's a whole nother black family dynamic situation. Oh. But we're not gonna get into that. Yeah, we but that's why, uh, that's why I ended up at Howard, um, you know, without my parents. But you figured it out. Like, how was that? You got there. Oh, I was like, say, okay. like, how did that you get there? Right, right. from California. <laughs> Well, I caught I caught the plane to Jersey. Um, my dad's oldest brother um, lived in Patterson, New Jersey, so he dropped me off before he had because they don't have the same dad. So, um, <laughs> so he had time to take me. It wasn't a priority in his life <laughs> for the funeral in Detroit. You know what I'm saying? You know, it just it just worked out that way. So my uncle took me uh, to college and then my dad went to Detroit to see his father who was in the casket. Oh, wow. Right. wow. So that's how I got there. I told Keisha the other day, I said, that is why that is your phrase. I'll figure it out. Because from that moment on, she was just figuring it out right. for herself. So nothing was scary for her because even from that moment, she was figuring it out the best way that she could. So. Now, I will say this. I'm a little jealous of y'all millennials because it's like that generation figured it out. <laughs> like, they, they understood. Which is sometimes we, we didn't have a choice because sometimes our parents had no clue. And, and honestly, I'm going to be all the way honest. Like, I wasn't raised. I had it worse because I wasn't raised by my parents. I was raised by my grandparents. But we're talking about, like, they didn't even have to take the SAT, the mm. ACT. So they were looking at me like, you got to sign up. You got to do what on Saturday? I got to take a standardized test <laughs> to get into college. And I had to sign myself up for everything. Like, my grandmother went to Wayne State. She ended up finishing at UNC Charlotte, but she went. So when it came time for me to prepare for school, I was literally doing it all on my own because it was between my great-grandparents and my grandparents. And the only thing they could offer me was money. And I was like, well, okay, let me go figure this out for myself. So I would talk to my school counselor and they were like, okay, Ivy, um, you need to make sure you take the SAT. And I had taken the practice exam so many times. I started taking the SAT really early 
like in my sophomore year. So by the time I took it as a senior, I had did pretty well. And then they introduced the ACT to me, which is something most black kids don't take, but they would do better on because it includes science. And um, it also includes, um, what is it? Um, social studies. And I took that, did good. But I'm saying that to say that like, a lot of times our generation had to figure it out simply because either we were first generation college students or the people that were raising us, they were older and they didn't necessarily know what it takes now to progress through life. Like even in your job, I can't ask my grandmother, like, how did she get a raise? Because in her generation, they didn't ask for raises. They didn't ask to be promoted. You know what I'm saying? So, like Keisha said, you just had to, like, step out on faith and just let God carry you the whole way. <laughs> so, I'm just going to say that language. Um, so, you, something that Keisha kind of touched on, that swept under the rug syndrome mm-hmm. that we have as Black families. And if someone around you, like my uncles or somebody, they could have helped, but they just also chose to mind their business and not. So... Mm-hmm. I had to just figure it out. And thank mm-hmm. God, like, I call myself the modern-day Moses because I had, God always placed people around me to help me. Like, I had the best cheerleading coach in high school. <clears throat> and she um, she went to South Carolina State. And I think she knew because I would always, like, be like, so I did this, now what? And so she would literally just coast me along the way. And then my guidance counselor was the one who was like, well, you're using your dad's income. So, you know, you get to take the SAT and the ACT for free. So you might as well start taking it now as a sophomore. Mm -hmm. And because his income was so low, he was like delivering pieces as a Domino's delivery guy. And his income was basically nothing. And because of that, I was getting free lunch. And because I got free lunch, I got to take, like like guys test for free and they also pay for some of my college applications Mm -hmm. so it was those resources again that I was just blessed for somebody to tell me about them Mm -hmm. I didn't know and nor did my grandparents know about any of that a FAFSA girl by when I told them they had to go talk to my daddy to get his information for them to be able to fill out my FAFSA First of all, girl, what is that? And I don't know how I'm going to get your dad's tax information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because at the mm-hmm. time, my mom was, she was incarcerated. So, and we definitely couldn't use my grandparents because, honey. You're right. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, it all goes back to the ignorance. Like, we know nothing about the college process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was this guy. Um. I can't even think of who his name was. We had this building off Telegraph and everyone who wanted to go to college always went to him to do their FAFSA because he would hook people up and make sure that your parents <laughs> have to pay our arm Neighborhood plug. I like right. that. <laughs> After that first year, because my parents paid for my, um, for my uh, school my freshman year, but that sophomore year, they was like, look, some better grades if you want us to keep paying for this but then we found him and you know my school was paid for pretty much um but now i got these student loans but anywho um but school's pretty much paid for um and i think that you're right like knowing having the resources knowing where to go who to talk to like i'm very thankful that there are teachers at northwest that have helped David along the way from the audition process, when to start doing his FAFSA, when to, how to get these free uh, waivers to um, pay for these college applications. So they have been very hands-on in helping these kids get into school. But I think, like you said, back then, most parents didn't know, didn't know how to get to that next step. But I think now it's so many resources, so many people promoting education and making it very, ne- very easy and necessary for kids to go to college now. You would think so. But even still now, I'm like, I'm not even in the higher education like realm anymore. And I'm still yelling at parents now, like, hey, you need to go file your taxes today. 
Because I don't think that they realize that if you don't file your taxes now, when your child goes to school next year, that's going to be the holdup. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. don't want that to be the holdup because all you had to do was file your taxes on time. Mm-hmm. And they need the prior mm-hmm. year, not the year they go into school. It's the prior year. So it's mm-hmm. you, you, you would think that it's the case, but I hate to say it, but we are still falling short with little things like that, especially applying for scholarships. There are so many resources for Black kids at this point. It's sad. They're not taking advantage of them. Just like when I was an undergrad, people didn't study abroad. They were throwing that money at us. Yeah. And I don't know many people that did that. It was the same thing. And it's like right now, um, her, the girl Candy that's in the Millionaire Factory group, yeah. that's literally what her business is, college preparatory. And she wants to get grants so that she can start helping black kids for free because mm-hmm. they don't have access or the parents aren't taking advantage of the access that is available for them. Yeah, she opened my eyes up to a lot of stuff. When she said that at kindergarten, you could get scholarships for your children for college, like, what? 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 <laughs> so, yes, yes. You need to learn like, a lot. Of- I, I, yeah. you can take the yeah, she okay. has a wealth of knowledge about all this. She was like, just imagine if you start early, all of that money that's mounting up for when they go to school, you know, that, that college is going to be paid for. Yeah. Yeah, I need, I need to get on it because somebody, they got to go. They got to go somewhere. <laughs> they go down. <laughs> they need to go somewhere. So... <laughs> On the campus, you know, you went to the black college, you had the college experience, you learned how it was to be responsible, you, you know, you learned about community. What was it like afterwards? Like, did you immediately say, okay, I need to make an impact or I need to go in the workforce and really make all this money? Like, what was that like? Because nowadays it seems like there are so many more entrepreneurs coming out of college than there was when I was going to school. Well, for me, immediately after coming out of Howard, I was like, I need you. (laughs) So when I started traveling, that was one of the things I would notice that would be unsettling to me. When I ended up in San Diego, there weren't enough Black people for my comfort. And San Diego is beautiful. It's a beautiful city. The real estate is amazing. But there there was missing something. So I left. You know, <laughs> so I left. The value that I have for just black community is just at an all-time high because of going. To the I, I would want it no other way. I think that that experience, and I know this wasn't the question, but it made me realize like what black utopia will actually look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree, like totally. And like you said. Alicia, like I'm, I'm more uncomfortable. Like, well, I'm uncomfortable when I'm in certain areas if I don't see enough of us. And I know that's kind of bad to feel that way, but it's it's just a comfort. So yeah, I think that's one of also the age old arguments about all black institutions is that they don't. This is what people say. This is not what I'm saying. Everybody, these are not Ivy's words. <laughs> no, I, I know where, yeah. They, I know where you're Right. They don't equip you for the real world because the real world is not full of just Black people in the workplace. And I don't agree with that because, because I became more, what's the word, um, sure of my Black self. Mm-hmm. it made me a lot more unapologetic to sit in these everyday white spaces. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I am more comfortable. Now, Shalonda, I exactly understand what you mean because when I was moved to this part of the country in California and I was in San Francisco where there are like skin few black people, like outside of going to church, it took me two weeks to see the next black person. And I am oh. not exaggerating. And mm-hmm. I, I hated it, mm-hmm. just to put it plainly. And it wasn't mm-hmm. an uncomfort. It, it wasn't that I was uncomfortable. It was that 
sometimes you just want to see good things for your brethren mm-hmm. and because you don't see them around you no everybody is susceptible to either making you feel like you're invisible or they act like they don't know how to act around you. And that's just weird to me. So because it wasn't a lot of black people around, everybody was like tiptoeing around the only black girl and the only woman in the office. Real weird. Like y'all don't have to watch your words, you know, like we're still human. I'm still a person. Right. And nine months later I was lucky to come to LA with all the black people. So um I feel like the mere fact that that's one of the I now that I think that's one of the, also the other reasons that people say they don't go to black schools because they would not be prepared for the world. But I would challenge and say this: by not going to an HBCU, you don't get that value of the culture. You don't get that sense of community, like being yes. there. When you okay, I had a I had a professor, Dr. Thomas. Shout out to Dr. Thomas, who's probably still at HU. If you were not in class, Dr. Thomas would have us call you. Like, <laughs> wow. Dr. Thomas said, "Where you at? Why are you not here?" <laughs> like, you went from class. That's not gonna happen at a PWI, right? They don't care. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely that sense of like a reach back, like help each one. Each one. We get this together, community. Like, we all gonna look out for each other. And when you are in a space where it's just you, you don't, you don't have that. You don't right. have that. Yeah. So, uh, what was y'all's school motto? At any, like, I know some Black schools have, like, two mottos. Was one of them enter to learn, depart to serve? Ours is in truth and service. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> No, leadership for the global community. (laughs) So I was saying that to say that it was drilled in our heads so much. Like you were asking Rhonda about like, how did we feel once we graduated that Mm -hmm. I felt like it was my sole purpose. Even even though I graduated with thousands of people, it was just my sole purpose (laughs) to give back to the community in a way in which I was given to. And Mm -hmm. like, Shalanda said it was that community that's enforced like time over time um and um to me that was the best way that I could give back to institute or create another black community for people to feel comfortable in and for people to be able to learn so I found myself always working with young people and always wanting to give to them what I got back from my illustrious institution you know we love to use that word in front of our university. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm saying that to say that, like, um, like even if it was, like, on a community level, like, teaching dance at my church or working with the kids in that way because that gave me the space to talk to them about other things. And also because I cheered at a Black institution, that automatically opened up the avenue for a lot of young Black girls to talk to me about cheerleading. But then I would encourage them to also talk about, like, what, okay, so what do you want to go to school and do, girl? Because cheering, even though it, feel like, it feels like a major, you also have to actually have a major. And just mm-hmm. talking to them about that. And um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. The fact that I don't think that most people really encourage you to find a passion to figure out your um that you have to choose a major and even me and Shalanda I know that you're like in the education sector but like I don't nobody sat me down and asked me like what was I good at what was my passion what did I actually like to do and I ended up becoming an economist but I really deep down think that I should have been an engineer because I was really good in science I was really good in math and Nobody actually tapped into that. And so I try to give back in that way, too, by talking to kids about actual occupations outside of being a doctor and a lawyer to figure out what Mm -hmm. it is they actually want to do in their career. Like, there are careers out here that nobody talks about in the Black community outside of nursing, lawyer, doctor. It's just Mm -hmm. 
we don't talk about it. And I try to give back in that way because I wish that somebody would have sat down and talked to Little Black Ivy about that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I do work. Well, I'm not really in education. So, um, but exactly what you say, and I wish somebody would have did the same thing with me. Like, even now as an adult, you know, start a graduate program I start a graduate program because I don't know what I want to do with myself so <laughs> I um know that like serious but I, I probably figured it out that's another conversation too but um so I, it is important that um somewhere like we have to get them and not even at at the high school level like before, before high school now. yes like we want to talk to these babies and see what they're good what they like to do what they're good at and we got to we got to figure that out, y'all. No, that's real because I and I'm sorry that this question took this turn, but and I I'm only saying that because again I had to challenge my grandmother. She was talking to my brother and he was like, I really don't like my job. Like I want to find something else that I'm good at. And she was like, You better keep that job. That's the good job you have. And I was like, No, he doesn't have to keep that job. He needs to figure out what he wants to do. I said, because just because you guys had to keep your good jobs, we don't have to do that. We have the opportunity to actually follow our real true dreams, mm-hmm. our real true passions, and be happy in life. Right. I don't want people, I don't want my kids to go home every day today, spouse or friends saying, like, I hate my job. I don't want that for my kids. Mm-hmm. I want them to actually love what they do day in and day out <laughs> so that they can again. That's how you become successful. That's how you become wealthy. And it's normalizing black wealth all the way around because they're happy with what they're doing. They're going to stick with it and they're going to stick to it. And they're going to literally be the next Harvey Gantt. I mean, like, this is, these are the things I want for our generations to come because Mm -hmm. little Mikey, he got to grow up in a family where they cultivated that. And they took everything and they let him maybe even take a year before he went to college to figure out what he wanted to do and what what Mm -hmm. he wanted to major in. And then it's just like these opportunities where we shove the wrong things down our kids' throats. So I'm saying that to just all sum this all up is like she said, we got to learn and really talk to our kids when they're babies. Like, Mm -hmm. so this drawing that you just drew that you did it too, but it looks like an eight-year-old did it. Like, let's continue to maybe put you in drawing, like, art classes and cultivate them in some type of way to figure out what it is that they were actually, their real purpose on earth. So they not like me at 30, just now stepping into their purpose. Girl. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I do that all the time with Andrew. I'm like, you know so much about cars, the inside, the outside of them, like how they work, how they function. Like you need to be at STEM school so you can get what you need to go to that next level. Like that's where he needs to be. (laughs) But like what Ivy said, if the parents don't know, like it's just, it's it's a cycle. Yeah. Yes, that's it, Shalanda. Yes, we have to. Yeah, we have to. It's a continuous cycle. Okay, so ladies, before we wrap up, <laughs> look, I'm 11 minutes late for my class, but it's okay. This is a- <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, what was one thing that you gained the most from your experience at a black college? Whoever wants to go first. I gained um you know even we were all black we were still all different from different walks of lives from different just not even you know geographically different but different um and I had humble beginnings like you know like I said my mom never went to college my dad didn't finish but I went to school with people who were you know parents of judges Mm -hmm. and you know all sorts of walks of life so even though you know people like to say you know um a black college isn't an exact um um reflect of the population it is the only difference is it's all black mm-hmm. so that's what i gained um i gained that you know even within us we're still different but you know same. <laughs> <laughs> keisha 
I see you looking. Go ahead and answer. <laughs> well, for me, the ex- what I got the most out of my Howard experience was an overwhelming value of being Black and the Black community. Like, I love Black people. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I, I do. It's just, it's my preference now in everything that I do. It's where I want to be. It's where I want to be around. I want to spend mm-hmm. my life with the Black business. You know what I'm saying? So I just, it's just this overwhelming, like, sense of value and pride, um, you know, about Black people and the Black community. I love it. Ivy? Um, I think, like, the most important thing that I got from my HBCU experience was my Black sense of self. Um, I didn't know what microaggressions were until I got to, like, college and studied them in psychology. And I didn't know how I was feeling or what was being put on to me until I was sitting in this class. And I was like, that's it. That's right. That was it right there. So where I would be sitting in class and people would be talking about my hair or even my grandmother maybe making the a comment about my complexion because I was the darkest person in my family or like just these ways that I was being made feel because I was a brown skinned black girl in every aspect of my life. I, I didn't have like the best self-esteem of Ivy and not until I got to college and I realized like Sharonda said we were all black and we all came from different walks of life that I actually started to love myself. And that was like the biggest thing I got from going to an HBCU. I learned that it gets no better than the black woman. I hate it. I'm just going to put it out there. Mm-hmm. And All facts. <laughs> yeah. You know, and just like Issa Rae said, I'm moving for all things black. No, like I really was. And I never knew what I'm, like I said, I never knew what a microaggression was. And I never knew that the things that people were saying to me and about me, like, you know how people just say real like off the side or to the left conversations like why are you in this class or Mm -hmm. how did you get here or how did why is it that you have the the a and everybody else got a c and i can't help that i was just really good at math (laughs) but things were you know because I didn't know those things, I used to hide and dim my light for a very long time because I was afraid to shine because I was the black girl that wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. So when I got to college and everybody around me was just as smart and everybody looked like me, I didn't feel left out anymore. I didn't feel like I couldn't be like unapologetic. Now, you know, then I learned what that was. And I think the best thing that a black school taught me was how to love myself and be unapologetically myself and how to recognize microaggression so I could snatch people edges and sometimes they scalp if they have no hair. (laughs) I love all of it. I'm here for all of it. Ivy? (laughs) Yes, Ivy. (laughs) I heard everything. everything well thank you ladies so much for joining me again you guys if you are not already subscribed to shift the plan podcast definitely subscribe so you do not miss another episode like this amazing round table we'll be having more of these to come and also check out the link in my bio so you can join our community shift maker charlotte And remember, it does not matter what that situation is. It just matters what you do. Thank you for listening to Shift the Plan Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure that you are subscribed and that you rate this episode as well as leave a review. Let me know what you think as well as any questions you may have for the guest that was on the episode today. Now, some exciting news. If you haven't already seen it on my uh, Shift the Plan Podcast or my personal page, The Rhonda Evans, we are now a whole tribe, y'all. I know it has evolved from just me having 
having the idea to starting the podcast to now wanting to connect with more individuals who are shift makers, those who are making an impact in different areas in the community and education, mental health, and just what that foundation of building families are. Um, And so I'm excited to announce that we are now an organization called Shift Maker Charlotte. So you can head on over to our Instagram page at shift.makers.clt and take a look at what we have going on. And you can also go directly to the website at shifttheplan.com backslash join the tribe.